Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Bastards of Boston Red Sox Hot Stove edition of the podcast. Not any major news uh, as far as the Red Sox doing anything, but one relatively big name is now off the board. The Yamamoto uh, pursuit uh, seems to be intensifying. Red Sox made a couple of minor moves. We'll talk about that, plus the market in general, and then in the tail end, uh, a little bit more Shohei Otani talk. With me tonight, Cody Paulson, Micah Storms. Probably won't see this combination much during the season, um, just because the the way the alignments are, but... Uh, the three of us tonight, Cody, how are you? Doing well. Always nice to be able to to mix up the routine a bit, get a chance to talk with Micah and, you know, Terry. Uh, you and I get a chance to talk quite often. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm just waiting. <laughs> I'm just waiting um, for a long time. Um, would be nice to have some some action before Christmas. I'm hoping that's the case. Um, I, I feel like players want to know where they where they're going to be before the holidays, anyway. So I just want something. Um, I think Red Sox Nation needs something, and not just you know a uh, a minor league deal or a one million dollar relief pitcher. They need something substantial, is what I will say. Yeah, and you know, uh, the whole time I wanted them to come out of the gates, make a statement, and, you know, make a move, and it just hasn't happened, and, you know, in late November, the haters are all like, well, it's not even the winter meetings yet, and then the winter meetings get here, nothing happens, well, it's only December 6th, well, tomorrow's going to be December 14th, that's the day this will drop for everyone, so perhaps I should say today is December 14th. And I remember last year we signed Corey Kluber on December 28th, only 14 days after today. And that was pretty much the end of it. Like all the, it was slim pickings after that, you know, we ended up getting Adam Duvall, but um, it is getting pretty late. It's getting pretty late. So um, hopefully, hopefully something happens. If the Red Sox, we're going to talk about Yamamoto in a little bit, but if they're sensing, maybe, maybe we're not you know, maybe we're not likely to land him. Maybe let's swoop in and preemptively make a move here uh, so that at least something gets done. But uh, one guy that will not be on the Red Sox, and I don't think any of us really would have loved this move, but it would have been a move, and it would have been the best move since the Dombrowski era. Uh, Seth Lugo ends up going to the Royals, for three years, $45 million, so that's $15 million per. Not not a ton. That's, that's a mid-market price. And he can opt out after the second year of this deal if he chooses. He's 34, so who, who knows? But off the board, the Red Sox were connected to him, so it's not like they weren't interested in past. There were tons of reports of the Red Sox linking him to uh you know Seth Lugo to the team so um you know a little frustrating that we're competing in losing uh to the Royals but Micah go ahead lead us off well Red Sox Twitter was a super weird spot yesterday because 
people were outraged that they did not sign him and the fact that it kind of looks like they lost out in a bidding war to the Kansas City Royals. That's the way it kind of was perceived. Um, but I kind of push back on that just because if the Red Sox would have signed Lugo, they would have said they're dumpster diving and that this is their big fish and this is the the big plan of the offseason, and they would have been mad at it anyways. But because they didn't sign him, they're mad now because it looks like they're getting bullied by the Kansas City Royals. So it really was going to be a lose-lose based on how the fans were going to react. Um, but I don't think 3-45 and 45 was – all that difficult and all that hard to maybe agree to um, Lugo it, when he's on the mound, if you look at his numbers over the last couple of seasons, he is super productive. I think the question would have been how many innings would you have been able to get out of him this year? Um, he had a massive workload increase last year. Would that have been able to be maintained because the Red Sox certainly would have needed probably 140, 150 innings from him based on the fact that he'd probably go right into the number two spot. But I, I'm not mad that they did not sign him. I wasn't really big on him. But as you stated in the beginning, Terry, the, the numbers are starting to shrink. The options that they have moving forward are becoming limited. And the Red Sox have already stated that they really don't want to go after players with a qualifying offer. So now your options are even less than they would be if you didn't put that limitation on yourself. So um, teams get desperate at this time of the, the off season when there's only a handful of pitchers left. So I just, I see an overpay for whatever they're going to need. Um, I don't think three and 45 was an overpay for Lugo. Um, but I also would not have wanted Lugo to be the big fish. I would have been irate if that would have happened. Um, but they passed, and now we wait. We really wait. <laughs> Cody, thoughts on the the Lugo verdict? I mean, a lot of same sentiments, right? It, it, you know, the way I saw it was damned if you do, damned if you don't, which is, you know, another way to say lose-lose, right? You know, this is a career 3-5 type player. Um, obviously, a lot of that is, uh, I guess, elevated or sunk by the fact that he was a reliever, right? Last year was pretty much his second full season as as a starter, where a majority of his appearances came in, in game started. Um, you know, if you were aggressive and went out and got a Sonny Gray earlier, you know, maybe made more uh, moves to get a Montgomery, and then you added Lugo to be, you know, your four or five guy, I think that makes it look a lot more uh, attractive or advantageous, right? But, you know, as Micah mentioned, as the, the rotation is currently – slotted out if you put a guy like Lugo in he's gonna have to be your number two guy right until you know maybe Bayo develops or Hauk or Whitlock or whoever we decide we want to break this year um and the starting rotation takes over but you know it isn't that splashy play right he isn't that guy that's got that overpowering dominating stuff that you know high-end potential Giolito type um you know arsenal in in his arm um I was never really particularly jazzed about it. You know, I wasn't necessarily buying into the fact that we got outbid by the Royals. I think all of the wonkiness of the contracts are really starting to to rear their head, right? You know, it's something that we're going to talk about with Otani, I'm sure. The way that they're doing these contracts, the way that they're doing negotiations are making it a lot more difficult. And it's, you know, which team is going to be more willing to stomach some of these 
longer deals, right? And obviously the three-year deal isn't very long, but maybe the Red Sox were only comfortable for two years uh, for, for Lugo and, you know, they weren't willing to do that third year or, you know, whoever knows what it is because it sure shouldn't be the money, right? $45 million at this day and age with all the price, you know, increases at Fenway, you can't say, hey, man, $45 million is just priced out. We can't do that. Then it's like, what are we, what are we doing? But, um, you know, as Micah mentioned, you know, we're on the backside of the winter meetings, spring training 60 days away, which is crazy to think about, right? The the long days of the winter, you know, we're kind of right in there in the thick of it, but the calendar is starting to turn towards spring training. Pitchers and catchers are going to be reporting um, before you know it. And those potential, I guess, targets to make a, a reasonable offseason are, are coming off the board. Um, you know, if, if the Red Sox went out early, got Lugo, and then stayed put, we would be really, really upset, and I think deservingly so. Uh, but, you know, would he have been a nice guy to have to, to add around some other things? Absolutely. But he wasn't a make-or-break guy for us in this offseason. I don't think any of us would have sat here and tried to say it on the back end that we were happy or sad one way or the other. It just kind of seems like, a, hey, you need 40 guys on the roster. He's one of them. So a couple of things before I give my take on this. Number one, um, I, I agree. I think the Red Sox probably were stuck at two years. And the third year was why he chose Kansas City. And I heard Kansas City has some really good barbecue, but I don't know. Boston just sounds way cooler. And it's probably uh, obviously not going to be as much fun in, in April in Boston, but the summer months are going to be a little bit more pleasant. I mean, Fenway basically sits right on the ocean. It's right there. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot more fun place to play. Secondly, I really see Lugo as the number three guy in the Red Sox rotation. I fully expect Brian Bayo to, to be a notch above him. And if he's not a notch above him, then Bayo's not having a good year at that point. So I, I honestly think, I mean, I don't think this is the biggest hot take ever. Say we get Montgomery. I think Bale can be better than Montgomery this coming year. I, I in terms of strikeouts and uh, you know I I don't I don't think that's like a crazy hot take, but um, but having Lugo as a number three in my rotation, I I would have been okay with. And so many people came at me on the bastards account and said you would have destroyed that deal if if you know if the Red Sox gave him that offer. No, I wouldn't have, because as I've said on this podcast, he would have literally been the best free agent signing since Nathan Avaldi in 2019. OK, I'm not saying I love it, but I'm I'm just I'm used to being disappointed and appalled and horrified at the guys we do end up with. And go ahead, Micah. I was just going to say Charlie would have destroyed it. Charlie would have been in a straight jacket for a few hours had that deal happened, as we know. And we love Charlie, and we would have been there for him, uh, you know, until he got back to his baseline. But um, but Lugo, before 2023, it was always touch and go with him as far as to whether he'd be a starter or whether he'd be a reliever because he had elbow issues. He had a very, very slight tear of his UCL about five years ago. That's scary to hear, but it was five years ago. And then he had loose bodies in his elbow that were operated on in, uh, I think, at some point in 2021. Nathan Avaldi had that same surgery as well after he signed the extension with us. Last year was the first season where they fully expected Lugo to be a starter, and he was. 
he pitched for 146 and one third innings. Um, I'm a big strikeout per nine guy. You hear me mention that a lot. 8.6. That's above league average. Doesn't walk a ton of guys either. If anything, he gives up a little bit of contact, but you know, is what it is. If, if Andrew Bailey is good at his job, he'll probably help fine tune him a, a little bit and, and, and help him take a step forward. So I wouldn't have hated the Lugo, you know, signing, and it's frustrating that we are competing against the Royals. I and they they're also interested in Giolito. I don't think they're done. I think they're adding one more. So if we if we lose a Giolito guy who I covet, by the way, I was going to talk about him in a little bit, but I think Lucas Giolito can be the steal of the winter, and I'm willing to pay him. I don't think I'd give him more than three years coming on because he is a reclamation project. Um, ideally it wouldn't be more than two years, but I do two years, 40 million and just hope for the best. But he did have a, a, a 10 strikeout per nine last year, which is pretty high. And I, I think the fact that he was still striking guys out, I think that speaks to the fact he's probably not cooked as people like to say on social media, he did have a problem with walks and command in general. So that you know has to be cleaned up. But again, if Andrew Bailey is good at his job, that that should be doable. And if you can just get him back to to twenty twenty one form, I think I think that would go a long way in kind of setting a new narrative for the Red Sox pitching program. And it would be Craig Breslow's first stamp as I know what I'm doing here. And I'm going to lead this team back to, you know, the place it used to be. And so that's why I'm a big Lucas Giolito guy. And he's cheap. He's cheap. And like he can be he he can have the best year of anybody that's that's a free agent currently. I really believe that. Uh, Any any more thoughts uh, before we move on? Can we are we going to can we talk about Giolito for a second? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I'm with you. I would kind of be pumped if the Red Sox were able to get Montgomery and Giolito. I think that would be uh, a pretty successful offseason in terms of the starting pitching. Um, I'm high on Giolito, too. I wanted him at the deadline. I thought he would have been a good add, but he was going to be expensive before, obviously, then he blew up with the Angels. But, you know, the Angels paid a high price for him um, before they then released him. But... I think he could be a great bounce back candidate. I don't know if he would sign a three year deal. I feel like it could be something more like maybe a one year deal or a two year deal with an opt out, just because if he has a big 2024, I think he'd want to probably capitalize on that and then seek his four or five year deal, whatever, um, to really make his payday. But again, I'm fine with that. If you want to get a one year, uh, I would be all for a three year deal. If you want to throw an opt out in there, fine. But I think that's the type of pitcher where, you know, I think there's a more of a track record with Giolito. You know, he's going to give you innings. I think he made still, despite being released and everything, I think he made at least 30 starts last year. I feel like I would be more comfortable with Giolito moving forward into the rotation, slot him in at the number two, or if you want to put him at number three, it doesn't really matter, than I would have been with Seth Lugo. I, I just... I'm buying the track record. I know it's been a year or two since he's been really, really good, 
but he is a pitcher who's finished three consecutive years from 19 to 21 top 10 in the Cy Young. So the track record's there. He's only 28, 29 years old. I'm all for it. I think that would be a, a great pickup. And, I mean, there's no question in my mind he is better than what he was at the end of the year with the Angels and then with the uh, Guardians. There's no doubt in my mind. I think he's a great uh, candidate for uh, a bounce-back player of the year, comeback player of the year, whatever you want to call it. So he pitched 184 innings, just so we're aware. That's a lot. <laughs> for today's standards, that's that's uh, probably a heavy workload. Um, he he got he played on three teams. He started with the White Sox. They were a dumpster fire on the field, off the field, in the clubhouse. Just total mess of an organization. Um, they cleaned out the front office uh, as well. But he got traded to the Angels at the deadline. Um, didn't pitch super great there. Gave up nine runs to the Atlanta Braves. Uh, well, you know what? He only really did have two bad starts now that I'm looking at it. Um, nine runs to uh, Atlanta. This is with the Angels, by the way. Two bad starts with the Angels. Uh, Philly tagged him for um, for five. Then he gets traded uh, to the Guardians. Gives up nine runs right away to the Minnesota Twins. And then um, finishes the year uh, giving up five runs to the Reds and Tigers in his last two starts. Also had uh, five walks against the Reds and four against the Tigers. So that's where we need to... He's got a command problem, and that's what needs to be addressed. And that's why he's not, you know, getting a, an Aaron Nola type deal. You know, had he had a good couple of years, he'd be on par. He'd be somewhere between Nola and Snell in terms of what they're getting. And how old is he? His birthday's a day after mine. Um, he's 11 years younger than me. So he's coming into the season uh, 29 years old, turns 30 in the summer. So still fairly young. But Cody, thoughts on Giolito? I mean, the upside is is tantalizing, right? Um, you know, my only thought with, with Giolito is we can't sit here and bash other reclamation projects and then turn around and say, well, this one is particularly enticing, right? You know, it's it's a gamble that you're going to take with the free agent market. I think, you know, the Giolito prospects is more of a organizational and an ownership issue. Um, you know, all the reports that came out after Bloom was fired was that the ownership was willing to win, willing to spend you know, was upset that he was had paralysis at the deadline. And then, you know, they come out and say, we're still committed to winning. We want to go full throttle. And they do a minor league deal and, a, a you know, major league minimum player to a guy, let's be honest, I've never even heard of. Um, I If we sign Giolito, that's great, right? Because as you guys have clearly outlined, the upper end stuff is still there. And he's had good starts. And I was, you know, in my mind, like, oh, hey, he gave up nine on a bad year with no confidence to the Braves and then to the Phillies. I was like, okay, those are, you know, good juggernaut teams made it to the NLCS, made it to the world series, you know, reigning world series champions, yada, yada. And it's like, okay, well, those five against the Tigers, man, it's five against the Reds. Like, okay, that's, you know, you're, you're trying to spin it. You're trying to be hopeful. You're trying to be positive. Um, 
I think this is a really exciting time to be Andrew Bailey. And I think it's, it's pretty cool to have a pitcher focused kind of GM that's willing to, to tinker with some guys, right. You know, are there things that they're seeing uh, guys that they want to bring in that, you know, they maybe could figure this out, right. The, the pitching program in Boston hasn't been very good for quite a while. And, you know, maybe we could turn ourselves into one of those factories that are, are getting those guys off the scrap heap or that are down on their lockdown on their confidence, get them some, some easy starts to open up the season, get their confidence back up and, you know, kind of set them on the right path. Right. Um, pitching as is anything in sports is so much as it is mechanical, equally parts mental. Right. Uh, so, you know, if you get his confidence up, you get him throwing strikes, fall off the zone, you know, who's not to say you can't put together those seasons like you did in Chicago. Um, I've always been willing to, to give guys second chances. I've always been willing to, you know, believe that, um, especially when age is on their side, that they can find it again, right? You know, a lot of the time, to, that talent, that ability doesn't just fall off the face of the planet when you're still in your 20s or your early 30s. You know, if you're bringing in a 36 or 37-year-old guy, maybe it's a little bit tougher. And then, you know, Justin Turner just stuffs me in a locker. But um, I'd be very willing to have Giolito on this team, I think, you know, for the right contract. You know, if we're not allocating a lot of our resources or saying, hey, this is our big our big spend of the offseason, I'd be, I'd be excited. And he is a reclamation project, but it's important to point out he's not coming off of a major injury, nor has he had a major injury at any point in his career. You know, Bloom brings in guys like Garrett Richards and uh, who am I forgetting there? Garrett Richards and oh, James Paxton and, you know, guys that have missed a lot of time in, in the last few years. Not the case with Giolito. He's just, they just need to work out some things. And, and he's younger than a lot of those guys. Richards was, you know, 32, 33 when he came to Boston. Uh, Kluber was 40, uh, excuse me, 37. Pitched like he was 47. But, um, but yeah, I mean, so th this doesn't really fit the mold of the guys we've been targeting. So is it risky? Yes. Could it blow up in our faces? Yes. But, it's not something that uh, I'll look back on and just destroy the front office for, for taking the chance on him. I think a Seth Lugo though deal, like that could just as easily blow up in, in, in the Red Sox face if they would have went that route. You know what I mean? Like Giolito at 29 or Lugo at 34. Who do you, who do you feel better about going into next year that could throw 150 innings? I don't even think that's a question. I mean, well, Giolito has the higher ceiling, so there's absolutely no disputing that. But I don't know. I just feel like I just feel like Lugo's in a good place now, and I, I, I trust that he's healthy. You know, so that's what gives me a little bit of confidence. And he could very well have a better season, but it's hard to not be, you know, tantalized by the ceiling of, of Giolito. So, all right, so let's switch, shift gears here. Um, Yamamoto, the it, it felt like his market was accelerating uh, earlier in the week. You know, Otani was off the board. Um, we'll talk about him in a minute, but um, his contract situation is a little more favorable than what we thought. So now... Now it looks like the Dodgers could be in play for Yamamoto. We're not sure, but it, you know you can't rule him out. And then it, it just really feels to me like the two New York teams 
have have the advantage. You know, you've got money from Cohen, and then you've got prestige and a lot of exciting things going on around the Yankees right now that make them a, a very attractive landing spot. And their their deal is probably going to be somewhat on par with with what the Mets would give him. So, um, I, I'm not exceedingly confident we're gonna win the the Yamamoto sweepstakes. Apparently, the Red Sox are going to be meeting with him within the next day or two. And Yamamoto is on the West Coast right now. I forget which city he's in. He's in the United States. He's on the West Coast. Everybody's flying out there to him. He's met with the Dodgers, with the Giants, I think with the Yankees already, and he still needs to meet with the Red Sox and I think the Cubs. But, Micah, what's your current read on it? Well, at least they have a meeting. I guess that that was a nice confirmation there because for a while it was like, well, they're, they keep saying they're interested, but you hear the other clubs like are meeting with him and Cohen flew out to Japan and it's like, well, are, are the Red Sox just saying they're interested or are they actually? So at least they have a meeting. That's a good good sign. But I guess my question is, are they just in it to say, hey, we were in it, but the bidding just got crazy? Or are they actually in the bidding? Because based on their finances, there's no reason they're not in the actual bidding. They, they should be able to get up to 300 if they want. I don't see why 325, 350 is really out of the range. This is the Boston Red Sox, one of the biggest baseball organizations in the league. So they should be able to be super aggressive. I just don't know if the desire is there. And I think that's where I'm at is if the desire is to not really compete with the Mets and with the Yankees, then why meet and why wait when – you could go out and you could just make an, an offer to Jordan Montgomery that he has to say yes to, or an offer to Lucas Giolito that he can't turn down. You know, the, a lot of these pitchers are waiting for Yamamoto to sign, but so are those clubs. Like a lot of the clubs that are going for him also need pitching. And then if they lose out on him, they're going to move to the other pitchers that are a, a notch below him. And the Red Sox, if they're really not in on Yamamoto, they could go in and make those moves right now and set their rotation up and not be in a bidding war for Montgomery or pitchers like that. Now, maybe those pitchers wouldn't actually sign, but I'd be curious if they actually were made an aggressive offer and they weren't told, well, we're going to see what happens with Yamamoto and then we'll call you. What would happen? Um, So uh, according to my calculations, I shouldn't even say my calculations, um, on Twitter, Red Sox payroll is a great follow. They have a great spreadsheet on like every move and every contract. But uh, I was looking at it, and the Red Sox have a little above $47 million until the luxury tax. So I could not imagine the Red Sox going into 2024 – with 25 million, even 15, 10 million left above the uh, below the luxury tax. I can't see them doing that. So that means that they're going to spend 30, 35, maybe 40 million dollars in the next couple of weeks. Who are they going to target to actually spend that money? Is it going to be Yamamoto or is it going to be Montgomery and somebody else, a, a Giolito? But 
I, I, they're going to spend the money. I just want to know where because it's not going to be at second base. No second baseman is going to get that crazy money. Um, and they need pitching. So they're going to throw money around eventually. I really do believe that. Who, I, I, I don't know. My guess would be Jordan Montgomery. I don't believe they're in on Yamamoto um, like the Yankees are going to be and definitely like Cohen and the Mets are going to be. But again, if it's not Yamamoto, where are you spending that forty-seven million or close to forty-seven million? Because if you're raising ticket prices, you better be at least close to the luxury tax. Cody, go ahead. With all the Yamamoto stuff, I think it's more indicative of the state of the hot stove at this moment in time. Um, you know, to to borrow an experience we all went through last year with Xander Bogarts, right? There were reports flying all around. He was going to Philly. He was. You know, meeting with the Red Sox, people are like, oh, the deal is imminent. And then, boom, he signs 12 years for 200 and whatever with Padres, right? I don't even know if we knew that he was meeting with the Padres. Um, you know, I remember that day just refreshing Twitter constantly, almost wishing for him just to make a decision. Whether it be the Red Sox, great. If not, fine. You know, definitely not for 12 years. But I, I think people are just lobbing out reports to get traction, to get clicks, to get likes, to to get something to be talked about because there really isn't anything going on, right? You know, um, similar to the Otani deal, right? That was a masterclass in business. It started with, you know, he's meeting with all the New York teams. He doesn't care what coast he's on. He just wants to win. He flies a private jet to Toronto. LA makes this Hail Mary offer. You know, maybe he wanted to be in LA the entire time and he just wanted to bump up that price tag, right? But with, you know, those two being the big dominoes to fall, we're just kind of grasping at straws until they make a decision or until they lead one way or the other um you know you have reports saying that we're already out on yamamoto when we haven't even met with him or you know these teams are the front runners these teams are now in last place right the mets went from meeting with him in japan to to not really being in contention but you know steve cohen can throw the brinks truck around and and who knows what happens right he's gone and made the big splash in the past two or three free agent classes and so you know I just wonder, say we do get Yamamoto, right? And, you know, whatever fantasy land you want to call that to be, are we going to be the one left holding the stick of dynamite, right? Are we going to be the one paying him that 35 maybe $40 million a year because the price tag has bumped up and we know that we need to make a play and make that splash deal and it's getting close to, you know, close to spring training, as, as Micah had mentioned earlier. Are we going to, you know, kind of get desperate? I do like the idea of, you know, maybe being interested in Yamamoto, but, kind of moving silently in the night, trying to get something done with, with Montgomery or Snell or, you know, some other additional options with, with that money. Um, you know, having that much to spend per year, it's got to go somewhere. And there are holes on this team kind of all across, all across the board, whether it be, you know, outfield, if you wanted to bolster that with an additional option, second base, clearly um, more right-handed bats, uh, you know, Definitely don't need to touch the bullpen. Uh, I think we have enough arms there, but um, starting pitching for sure. And so, you know, are are we going to kind of paint ourselves into a corner of saying, hey, we're a big market team where the Red Sox can throw money around. We got to go get Yamamoto and we, you know, kind of allocate all of our resources to, to one position. And now we still have those other holes and one guy is only going to make 30 starts and you hope he makes 30 starts. Right. And, you know, now we're paying 35 because we wanted to get into a bidding war to prove that we are not the Red Sox of the Heim Bloom era, right? You know, we're still the Red Sox. We're still John Henry, you know, yada, 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 whatever that ends up being. Are we almost playing ourselves into a worse position just to prove that we are who we, we used to be? Um, and, you know, so it's, I think it's 
you can't read too much into the tea leaves. You can't read too much into the reports. Nightingale's all over the place, and you can basically take his takes for the opposite. Um, I'm not going to believe anything. I'm not going to believe any reports until uh, Jeff Passan tweets out, you know, hey, official sign, you know, dated, yeah, this is this is what it's going to be. Um, I I don't enjoy these roller coasters of saying, hey, we're in first place, we're in third place, we're out of the mix, we don't have a meeting, we have a meeting. Planes are flying all over the place. It's chaos, and I think it's just people trying to take advantage of the slow a slow off season. And so, you know, I'll wait until the report says that he's, he's signed somewhere and then we can, we can break down the deal then. So as far as the luxury tax goes, I don't care if we blow past it this year by 10, 20 million, because you're losing Chris sale next year. So you're going to be back under it. I'm not worried about that at all. Um, the important thing here to me is from a pitching standpoint, we don't have a face of the franchise. We don't have a guy that gives this team credibility from a pitching standpoint. A guy like Yamamoto does that. And you're just, you're not going to have this opportunity again. I can't imagine. Well, I can, and I'm going to get to him in a second, but there's going to be a problem with it. Um, but there, there's very few guys I, I can see myself sitting here saying, yeah, give this guy 300 plus. I'm just not wanting that. You just heard me give a very impassioned take on let's go get Lucas Giolito. And, you know, and, and I would have been fine with Lugo and I, I, I would kind of be fine with Montgomery. I'm still I, I man, the overpay kind of scares me there, but I'm, I'm not like I said he'll he'll be the ace of this staff for at least one season if we do miss out on Yamamoto but you're you're never gonna see me really clamp down and say go get this guy at all costs you just you just don't hear that from me but let's let's say we miss out on Yamamoto let's just say we don't get him there's an even bigger beast on the market next year from Japan his name is Roki Sasaki and his his metrics are just off the charts and compared to Yamamoto. And so presumably if we miss out on Yamamoto, we're going to go after this guy as well. But the problem is, is we're in the same position next year with a roster that's not sexy and it's going to be hard to sell another Japanese pitcher on a team that just refuses to stop you know, that refuses to stop doing all of its shopping at the very bottom of the market. I'm still horrified by the Tyler O'Neill trade. Like the fact that we're adding a very shaky outfielder to a very shaky outfield is extremely disappointing. And the reason I'm mentioning that is because I don't know where the bar is set based on that. I don't know where the bar is set. And there were other things we could have done as a big market team that we didn't do. And so that's what gives me, you know, a little bit of reservations here. And, and Micah was just kind of hinting. I don't think we're going to have much of a chance here at, at Yamamoto. But you have to, you have to do it. And, if you pay the example we've been giving all winter, give him a million more than Garrett Cole. That's that would be three hundred twenty-five million. 
the posting fee on top of that brings the overall cost of him up to 376. So if somebody offers him 350, which isn't inconceivable, one of those New York teams could could go there. That's going to put the overall cost at him uh, a little above 400 million. So if that happens, I'm not going to roast the Red Sox for not doing it at that point because eventually it does it does get stupid. But you know, if it's 300 to I don't know 330 million or so, I and and you have a chance as long as you're in that window to to pay that price. You have to do it, I think. And we're never going to be a team that that attracts free agents. The Celtics have a terrible time. Nobody wants to come to Boston, really. You know, they missed out on Durant and, and some other guys along the way. I don't want to be the Celtics of Major League Baseball. I, I really don't. So... Hopefully we're in on him. I know Lou Merloni was expressing interest yesterday. I didn't, I didn't, I don't know where he got that from. I didn't really look into it too much. Um, you know, we all got thrown for a loop with the whole Otani thing, but let's talk about a couple of guys. We did get, uh, the first guy, his name is Cooper Criswell. Sounds like a movie character name. <laughs> I don't know, like from, I don't know, Harry Potter or whatever. But he uh, spent all of last season, uh, the last couple of seasons uh, with the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, hasn't pitched a ton. I'm guessing he bounced back and forth between the, the big league club and AAA. He did pitch 33 innings last year, which isn't the tiniest sample size if you're a reliever. And... Um, didn't, it didn't go well, uh, a 5.73 ERA. This is a very good pitching program that should, if you've got promise and potential, this should be a program where that gets realized and, and, uh, it didn't. And the Red Sox gave him $1 million, very inconsequential. I'm assuming Joe Jakes is going to be the corresponding move here. It could be Yovera, but it, it sounds like they could have non-tendered Yovera, so that leads me to believe that his spot's probably safe and that Jake's will be the odd man out. But go ahead, Micah. And, and we got Roberto Perez, if you want to go on him too. So when the fan base is just salivating for something significant and then you get Cooper Criswell and Roberto Perez, you just kind of scratch your head and the fans that are angry or frustrated, they just lose their minds. Um, and it's just, it's a really poor timing for this, these types of moves to come out because all this is, is depth moves. Um, you know, this is triple a depth um, because I don't know where Perez really fits into the catching situation because they gave, mcguire a contract and I'm, i know they're going to commit to wong at least uh, in for 2024 um and chriswell somebody that i, I don't want to mention because i don't want to give them the recognition but they just i that they were it, it was their tweet i saw first about cooper chriswell and I, I have to be honest i couldn't tell you what team he played for when i saw because he didn't the person did not tag the tampa bay rays with the name Cooper Criswell. I just saw the name and the Red Sox. I'm like, 
who is that? Is that a is that a catcher? Like I had no idea he was a pitcher. I had never heard of him before. So um, it's one of these deals we've seen over the last three four years where you just go, I've never heard of this guy. I'm not expecting anything. I guess it's a dart throw. Does this one stick? And they actually find something. But then you look at his numbers. And they're not good. You look at his advanced numbers. The guy doesn't even really sit at 90 miles per hour. He's like 88 to 90. And it's like, okay, what do the Red Sox actually see in a pitcher like that where the stuff doesn't blow you away? He has a little funky delivery. But the the report I saw today was that they're, they're really thinking about kind of stretching him out at least and making him at least a long man. And it's like, how does somebody throw 88 to 90 miles an hour and get big league hitters out over more than one inning? I I don't know. We've seen guys do it in relief from a weird angle, but multiple innings, I, I just don't see it. Um, you know, could he be uh, Bernardino in 2024 where, you know, he just comes out of nowhere? I guess anybody could do that. But it's like I, I, I'm at the point now, and I know Breslow, it's, it's not the Bloom era. But these pitchers that we've never, ever heard of, like this would be a true reclamation project. Like we threw that term around with Giolito, but like this is the definition of a reclamation project. This is like dumpster diving on top of a reclamation project. <laughs> and I, 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 for, because of what has happened over the last couple of years, I'm kind of sick of these moves. Like I, I just – I know every team does them. But I just don't care because they they just they've blown up on the Red Sox over the last couple of years. Cody, uh, any thoughts? I mean, there's a there's a couple of different things, right? You know, I think it's it's a combination of we've seemed to have an infatuation with guys that have weird pitching angles over the couple of last couple of seasons, or you know, weird deliveries that have. Had a couple of good months at the beginning, and then uh, Cora's like, cool, we'll just throw this guy out for 85 innings like he's never thrown before, and then he just gets worn out by the end of the year, and we're like, well, this guy's terrible. Like, you know, I like to think I follow baseball pretty closely. I had never heard of this guy before. I am very sorry to him and his family for all the slander that he got on Red Sox Twitter today because, Micah, you're absolutely right. You know, every team does these moves. Everybody goes out and gets players for the league minimum, and – it's another body, right? And I guess we're just hoping that the the rising tide lifts all boats and that the Andrew Bailey pitching program can can find something with a guy like this. But, you know, much like him and much like Perez, which I think we're going to touch on in a little bit, is it's just organizational depth, right? I, I very much view Perez as a replacement for Alfaro, who got also designated for assignment um, or, you know, outright released or whatnot. Um, I was a little bit more excited about the Perez uh, deal. Obviously, that's a name that we're familiar with. I think he wore us out in the postseason in, in 2016. He's had some pretty good numbers. Uh, used to hit for a decent average, had that one year of, of good power. Um, you know, what I think Perez brings to the team is is more defensive than offensive at this point, obviously. But, you know, I don't think we really have much minor league catching depth. Uh, so, you know, he was signed to that you know, $1.4 uh, million deal at the major league level. If he makes a ball club, if not, it's a minor league deal. But, um, you got to have guys, right? You know, baseball is a sport of attrition, and I think that goes to both Perez and, and Chris. Well, you know, maybe you can stash them, you know, let them work on something, let them tweak something. Maybe, you know, they find something, something clicks, you can bring them up, they can contribute. Um, 
but I like the fact that we're doing things, right? We're at least being active and we're not, we're not laying out a lot of resources to do it. You know, yes, these aren't sexy names. These aren't the moves that you want to see. These aren't going to be the headliners that you bring to the Christmas dinner table saying, can you believe the Red Sox did this? Like, how cool is that? I can't wait for spring training. But, um, you know, I, it just shows that there is an attention to detail to, to a level of other organizations that is something that you like to see in a general manager. So I think, you know, where it might not be necessarily the best move and, you know, time will tell, right. Cause we haven't seen these guys before. We haven't seen them in our program, but Breslow is exhausting all options. And I guess, you know, maybe that's the big takeaway from, from these kind of moves is, you know, we're not being stagnant. We're not just waiting on the Yamamoto uh, domino to fall before we take care of the rest of the offseason. We are trying to do moves in, in parallel and still leave ourselves that flexibility to do, uh, you know, whatever that option two is, if we don't get Yamamoto or if we get Yamamoto plus somebody else or, you know, Montgomery, et cetera. So the tweet I saw announcing the Red Sox signing of Cooper Criswell was from Jeff Passan, and it was like four or five lines long. So I'm like, who is this guy? You know, like he's got, was he a stud in the Reds bullpen? And cause I never watch Reds games. I would never know that. And, and I'm just pulling up his baseball reference and I'm, I'm just seeing the numbers. And I'm like, ew, why, why did Passan even touch that? Why why did he take the time to to research what he needed to 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 let us know that we signed Cooper Criswell and and instead, you know, let the you know, Red Sox beat writers do it. But um but we have him and I it's just another move and maybe he's going to be gone by May. I mean, who who really knows? It's a major league deal, so he's going on the 40 man and he's going to be in the bullpen on opening day, you know, barring, uh, you know, an injury or, or whatnot. So um, nothing, uh, nothing, you know, nothing to write home about with him. Roberto Perez, I can't, can't remember where I saw this. Uh, I have like a Facebook war room with some of my close Facebook friends. Um, some perhaps it was in there. Um Perhaps it was in ours, but what if what if teams are calling on Connor Wong? And and perhaps this is the fallback to to trading Wong. I mean, Wong doesn't really have a long term future in Boston unless he's going to be relegated to a backup role and be fine with that. I, I think he is an everyday catcher. He's got a cannon of an arm, and I don't think he's quite reached the offensive ceiling that he has. I mean, it took Vasquez like two or three years to, to really kind of become a, you know, a six or seven hole hitter level bat and, and, and be a guy that, you know, could come up clutch in, in a certain spot. So I, I think Wong certainly does have some upside, but you do have Kyle Teal in the majors. Uh, you know, he's, He's got a college pedigree. He's already in double A. Conceivably could be called up late in the year, I think. Um, but no, certainly no later than some point in 2025. So Connor Wong's, you know, days as an everyday starter are, are, are winding down. So perhaps maybe sell high on him and, and Perez is the fallback. I, I don't know. But someone planted that seed in my head and uh, it kind of resonated with me a little bit. 
Uh, all right, so um, let's just go over to Shohei Otani. So it came out yesterday, I think, that his deal, almost his entire $700 million is deferred, except for $20 million of it. He's going to get $2 million a year for the next 10 years. And a lot of people panicked and freaked out, like the Dodgers pulled a fast one on everyone, and now they're going to go get Yamamoto now. And um, while that does sound crazy, the average annual value of the deal is still $46 million. That's going to go against the luxury tax every year. So in my mind, that's really what he's being paid because that's what's going against the tax. Is it $70 million like we thought and, and was going to be extremely consequential? No, but $46 million a year for one player is still the most of all time. So I'm not really freaking out at it. And the other benefit, too, is after the 10 years and his the playing part of his contract is up, he's going to be able to move somewhere else, presumably back to Japan, and be taxed at a far lower rate than what California is going to tax him at. I think California is the most, actually. California, New York, and Toronto, I think, are the three highest tax rates in, in MLB. For some reason, players still sign with the New York teams. But, um, but yeah, you look at the Giants and why they can't attract people. This has to be part of it. Um, and they did get Jung Hu Lee, I think, uh, yesterday. Kind of a not quite a Yamamoto-level bat, but close enough in their outfield. So they, they did get a fish. But uh, but getting back to Otani, um, I'm not freaking out about the circumstances at all, really. So, Micah, go ahead. I'm going to probably sound really just stupid when I talk about this. But you know what? I, I don't really care. I'll sound stupid. But, like, in my mind, I understand they're deferring the money. But it just it feels like if you're being if you're deferring it and i think you can only defer up to like 70% or whatever like like 70% of the contract has to count towards a luxury tax something like that like you try to read this stuff and it's like you need a a, a law degree <laughs> you do yeah. <laughs> yeah my brother sent me something it was like 16 pages and i'm like dude like what am i supposed to do with this i don't know how to read this but um, like in my mind, if, if the the Dodgers are only paying 46 million towards the luxury tax now, why don't they pay the extra 24 when they're paying the deferment money? Like that just makes sense in my mind, you know, but like they only have to pay the 46 and that's it after the 10 years, then they're home free of the luxury tax. But I just feel like it should be like when they're paying that actual money, 10 years later, I feel like they should have to pay something towards the luxury tax. That's just, I don't know, but I'm not going to complain about the system. I, I do think it could be a problem for baseball. I, I think it's, I think it would 100% be on the chopping block for the next, um, the next agreement between the union and the, and the, the league, because I don't think fans like this. And I don't particularly think major league baseball likes this. Like they, they've done a lot of things to try to prevent, from teams manipulating the luxury tax. And this is like the ultimate manipulation by the Dodgers to, to get away from having to pay so much. Um, but well, I can't complain because, you know, the Red Sox have utilized the, the deferment payment with Rafael Devers contract. 
Um, you know, so it's not stopping teams from every team can do this. And honestly, I think the small markets, this is the way to go. I, I really think the a small market team should utilize the deferment system. Um, but it, it just blew my mind that he's willing to basically say, give me 20 million over the next 10 years. I don't need the money because I'm going to make, you know, 10 times that in endorsements and he just wants to win. And this is the ultimate, um, you know, just I'm for the team and I want to win move. And I mean, I applaud him for it. I love to see it. I just hate that it's the Dodgers because now the Dodgers can be extra aggressive to go out and get Snell or go out and get another big pitcher. Um, but wow. I, when I saw the news, I could not believe it. And then I still can't believe it because now I don't understand the news because of all the, the legal terms that I was trying to, to follow. So I, I probably sounded stupid, um, but oh well. Cody? No, I don't think you sounded stupid. Uh, whenever you get the new deal, right, it's always – it's never it's never what it's posted, right? You see 10, 700, and you're like, okay, well, let's get into the thick of it, right? What is it? How many opt-outs are there? What's the deferments? What's the AAV? And yada, yada, right? It shows up, oh, he's getting paid $2 million a year with 68 deferred, and but then the salary cap hit is, is 46, like Terry mentioned, right? And you're like, what is going on? I'm, you know, I feel like – Alan from the hangover going down the escalator as he's trying to win all the money back. You're just trying to keep track of all the things that are, that are happening in front of you. Um, you know, a couple of things to, to point out here. We, I don't think anybody on this podcast was super jazzed up about the idea of getting Otani, especially at that number. And he's on the NL West, right? So both of those things are win-wins, right? You don't have to face him with the Blue Jays. You didn't have to face him in New York. You didn't have to face him with the short porch. Uh, you didn't have to deal with him as a pitcher when he came back. And then you're also not, you know, saddled with that contract. Is he a great talent? Is he the best baseball player of our generation? Absolutely. Is it a deal that shows that he just wants to win? He wants to play competitive baseball. He wants to play baseball like he did in the World Baseball Classic? Absolutely, right? Because as you mentioned, Micah, it gives the Dodgers the flexibility to potentially go out and get some additional uh, resources to to already make to make a great team even even better. Um, but you know the structuring of that deal to talk about the taxes, like Terry mentioned, for them to to figure out the the financial movement. I mean, it's all class business, um, I guess, footwork by Otani and the team, and and to an extent the Dodgers. And you put in the clause to where he can opt out if uh, what is it, uh, Friedman and um, I'm blanking on is it Walter the, the owner, yeah. If that structure is not in place, he can just opt out. Like I've never seen that before. And so, you know, that is an interesting angle that, uh, that Micah kind of brought up is what does this mean for the league moving forward? Right. Uh, You know, I think we are in the player empowerment era across all the major sports and, you know, each, each league is seemingly one upping the other. Um, How much power are you going to be giving these players? Right. Cause like, they're tying the future of their franchise to a couple of individuals. And if you start giving them opt-outs, if they don't like what they're looking around and seeing, you know, what does that look like for the financials? Are they still saddled with that 70 million and Otani's, you know, skipping over, well, not the other Los Angeles team, but, you know, to a different organization, you know, and and it just gets kind of messy. And so, you know, that new CBA or CBT is going to be, is going to be very interesting to try to follow and watch and have somebody explain it to me like I'm five. Uh, so I think Mike and I will be sitting there with our pinwheels being like, hey, <laughs> help us. <laughs> but, um, you know, with with the Otani deal all in all, uh, I'm happy to see a guy that has brought excitement back to the game get paid. I think, he, you know, he deserves um, 
a good contract. He obviously, you know, was with the Angels for for far too long for an organization that has just done him wrong. And so to see him get to get paid is is good. Um, crazy that it's you know at a higher evaluation than some major league sports teams, but I think that's a topic for another day. So in regards to the opt out, it's happened one other time, and it was actually with Joe Madden when he was with the Rays. If Andrew Friedman were to leave the Rays organization, um, Joe Madden would be out of his contract. He would be able to go to the free market, and that's exactly what happened. Friedman went to the Dodgers. Madden was swooped up by um, Theo Epstein, went to the Cubs, helped reverse their curse of, uh, I think it was 108 years uh, when they finally won the World Series. Uh, You know, big part of history there. And so, yeah, so it'll be interesting. I don't think it'll really be a thing. I mean, if Friedman decided to leave the Dodgers organization, I'm sure they're going to be left in good hands. Maybe that's when Brandon Gomes comes in. Uh, I don't, I don't see why he wouldn't want to play for him. Uh, and I don't think anybody would buy the Dodgers with the intention of making them a small market team either. So uh, I, I just think the fact that he, he did put that clause in there just goes to show you, he was very conscious of the fact that the angels were a terrible organization and he was never going to win. And he doesn't want to be in that situation ever again. So, um, so that's interesting. Um, I want to talk about real quick. Uh, I'm Mr. Conspiracy Theory on the crew. Charlie is, is with me as well uh, with a lot of those. But um, the whole charter flight, and we did discuss the charter flight on how it was started on Reddit. A bunch of Redditors were tracking it, and then it got to all the other social media apps. And then MLB Network started talking about this charter plane that was going from uh, I think Santa Ana, California, right near where Shohei lives, out to uh, Toronto. And it ends up being Robert Herjavec, I think is how it's spelled, uh, pronounced. Yes, from Shark Tank. We talked about that. Since that last episode, I have since found out that Shohei Otani and Robert Herjavec are represented by the same agency. That's interesting. That that gets me. That sets off my, you know, the alarm system in my brain. Something's a little off here, you know? So I don't know. I don't know if that was planned, if that was if that's how the you know, Shohei was able to get, you know, maybe an extra hundred to 150 out of the Dodgers. I, I don't know. But it's interesting and it's you can look it up. I mean it's a real conspiracy theory you know tons of people are talking about it but i just find it interesting uh mikey you want to weigh in on anything i saw a report that the dodgers truly did not believe or or did not know that they were going to be able to get him like before they met with him like there was a real uncertainty it wasn't a slam dunk on their end so that the, the idea that he or his agency, you know, or his agent, like that they basically staged a flight to go to Toronto to put pressure on the Dodgers. Like I could totally see that. It wouldn't be the craziest thing. Um, I I don't know if he necessarily needed to do it because 
I, I think he's the greatest player we've ever seen, greatest talent we've ever seen. So I think seven hundred million. I think he probably could have got that on his own, but extra pressure always helps. Um, but a wild story, and just the more you you the more that comes out about this contract, and just he's so thoughtful, and the people around him are so thoughtful that it's like, man, this guy's thought of every single thing. And you just you tip your cap to him, and you know I, I want to see him succeed. I just hate that he's on the Dodgers because I hate the Dodgers. I hate them. Um, I feel like it's the Yankees, and then the Dodgers are just really close behind them. I just can't stand those two teams. Um, and I just don't. Also, I probably shouldn't say this, but I don't want to see Mookie Betts win another World Series. That would just another one would just a real World Series would really hurt my soul so I, I feel like Otani gives him a much better odds of, of winning so I, I don't want to see that but again I want to see Otani in October um, and when that happens then the Dodgers have a shot and that means Mookie has a shot and I don't want that I'm still salty I hate the Dodgers more right now but it's going to shift really fast if Yamamoto ends up in New York then I'm gonna it's gonna be the Yankees for me again but thoughts Cody Perhaps we got to give some love to Friedman for, uh, you know, solidifying some some job security if he's the other person that have uh, a contract like this linked to him, right? You know, like you mentioned with Madden in Tampa Bay, and and now obviously uh, Otani in Los Angeles. Um, but I don't I don't know if um, I, I've never really had any sort of animosity towards the Dodgers. They've never really affected my life uh, in a negative fashion. Um, so you know. It's a West Coast team. Vince Gulley's pretty cool. I met Mari Wills one time. That was uh, that was pretty neat. Um, and so, yeah, you know, the Mookie Betts part would be a, a little bit of needling. That wouldn't be ideal. I think that would be kind of like the the biggest reason to to not like to see them one another. But um, you know, it's it's just good that eyes are on baseball. People are talking about it, you know, regardless of the reasons. The only thing crazier, and Shohei's the only guy that could pull this off, he could put language in the contract being like, I want this much this year, this much next year, and then this over the next several, and then I'm going to die, and then I'm going to get reincarnated, and then you got to pay me in my next life. And you don't even have to believe the theory of that. You just got to get him to write it up that way. And it's a thing, you know? And I think Shohei could have, you know, pulled that off. But... um here, here's the thing, though. When a team makes a splash like this, they have an immediate expectation to win a World Series in the next year or two or three. And then when it doesn't happen, the contract instantly doesn't look good. You're like, wow, we just we never got that instant impact from from this contract. Now, the next big thing is out there. I don't know who that would be at that point. Maybe Acuna, you know, in a handful of years. Um, you know, and it, it just is what it is. So I, I'm not getting, I'm not getting too bent out of shape about it. They do have the best odds right now of any uh, team to win the world series. If you go to place your bet right now, they have the best odds. And the, the crazy thing here is, um, they don't even really have a rotation yet based on what rotation, you know, it's crazy. So, um, I, I get why well, you do have Bueller back, but I want to check. They will. It seems very likely, though, that the Dodgers are going to get uh, Tyler Glass now. I'm kind of surprised that deal isn't done because it seemed like the framework of it was um, 
was worked out earlier, but uh, no no news on that. Probably by the time we come back, we'll discuss that. But he could miss half the season for all we know. He's he's like Chris Sale, same type of build, same weird injury prone situation. Uh, go ahead, Micah. You know, Terry, you brought up the the importance of winning a World Series, and with the Dodgers, their window is 100% right now because, you know, Mookie Betts is 31. Um, you know, he's going to be a Dodger for life, but I, I am curious how Mookie – and I felt bad saying that before because, like, I do like Betts. I've always been a Betts fan. I just – he's going to stick it to the Red Sox if he wins another one, and I just – I don't want that. But um, I, I'm curious how Betts – is going to age. He's a small guy. They typically don't age that well. And, you know, I feel like now is the time for him to really play really well and win. And the same thing with Freddie Freeman He's 34 years old. You know, they're getting the absolute prime years from these guys. And, you know, Tani's not going to pitch this year. So it's one less year where you're at complete full strength in these players primes. And I'm just I'm curious how long, you know, Mookie Betts can be an MVP candidate every single year. And Freddie Freeman, you know, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. But when does he start to decline? And, you know, Otani, he should be good for a while. But the time to win is now because as these guys get to 35, 36, they're not going to be at the level of their game. I'd be very surprised. And then, you know, the the Dodgers' ability to go out and get, you know, another crazy contract you know i like a juan soto i just don't think they're going to be able to do that in the future when they have an otani contract it's still 46 million dollars towards, towards the luxury tax a bets deal a freeman deal like and they, they need pitching so it's just where does all this money fit and maybe they don't care about the luxury tax because we've seen them go almost up to 300 i think i think it was 2019 or 2021, one of those years they were at like 299. And I think that's the it was the record prior to the Mets. But it's like maybe they don't care about the luxury tax. But I am curious how long of a window they really have with these players in their prime. A couple interesting things about Mookie is he his game is predicated on speed. So when you lose that, you know, that's a big part of it. And uh, very interestingly, he's going to be a second baseman for all of 2024. Dave Roberts already announced that. That's crazy. When you lost Mookie Betts to the Dodgers and then the extension happened a few months later, if I told you he would spend the bulk of that contract playing at second base, I'm assuming you guys would have thought I was nuts. And Well, he said he would never do that in Boston. And then does it basically immediately in L.A., and so, you know, it's just yeah, whatever. Yeah. Are you saying Mookie Betts I, I, is two faced? I'm just saying you can't you can't be like, oh, Boston did me wrong, blah, 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 blah. You know, like kind of spit on us on your way out the door and then go immediately do the things that you said you didn't want to do here. Right. He was very adamant about wanting to test free agency. Didn't very adamant on wanting to remain in the outfield didn't right so it's like all right then which is it you know are we supposed to believe you when you said that the red sox came to you with you know whatever this offer was or you know it 
that's oh, again conspiracy theories reading into tea leaves and whatnot i'm just looking at the actions of you saying that you didn't want to play second base in boston where you know we obviously have had a need uh and then you go and you do it in la but bygones be bygones i, I think mookie has really matured um he's a much different human being than he was during his time in boston um so i i think that goes a long way i think him playing with freeman i think they have very similar goals and just the way they approach the game um i've read many articles on mookie's um preparation and and just his work ethic how it's just improved over the years so i just feel like maybe he's just at the point where he's like i don't care about the outfield i really don't care about any of that stuff i just want to win and if playing second base helps my team win then so be it um but it is interesting because, I mean, he came up as a second baseman and then he said he wouldn't play second base for the Red Sox. Um, and now he plays it for the Dodgers. So it is interesting. But uh, do you think um, – I, I really don't know if I have a, a preference, but do you think it's easier to stay healthy and it maybe helps with the longevity of a career to play second base over an outf- a corner outfield position? I don't think so, really, because, I mean, you look at Bonds and even Nelson Cruz were, you know, started out as outfielders before, you know, and actually Bonds stayed, uh, he was in the National League, so, I mean, he he was the left fielder all that time uh, into his 40s. I just feel like, you know, there's a lot more wear and tear. You're landing on hard dirt when you're making a diving play, and... Yeah, and I, I in Boston, I wouldn't have wanted Mookie Betts at second anyway. The dude had a cannon of an arm and tons of range. So I, I still, I think the Dodgers are kind of nuts anyway for for messing with it as well. But but yeah, and if we're wrong about Mookie, I mean, Tory Hunter was another guy, thirty seven, thirty eight years old, a, a career outfielder. And he was really good. Probably didn't probably could have hung around another couple more years if he wanted to, you know, if Mookie's got similar genetics, then, you know, maybe he, he, I mean, he is a generational talent. So but go ahead, Micah. Um, trivia question for both of you. Oh, if Mookie Betts wins a gold glove at second base, which I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. I think he absolutely could. He's such a great athlete. Um, he would only become the second player to win a gold glove as an outfielder and an infielder. Can you name the other player? And it was in the last um, – since 2000. So, uh, Cody I'm putting, is, you on this, I'm putting you on the spot here. I know. Cody destroys me every day in the immaculate grid. So um, let me think. American League or National League? <laughs> Help me out. I'm still not going to get it. American League. American I would League? never have gotten this. I would oh, never okay. have gotten this. Okay, so he wasn't a good bat. I think we've uh, just given that up. Um, man, infielder and outfielder. And it's not it's not Chase Utley then. Um, is it Alfonso Soriano? Uh, it is not uh, uh, Soriano. I don't – did he win a gold glove? I have no idea. I <laughs> that shows you how much trouble I'm in. Um, I don't. I don't know. I searched long and hard for this because I, I I initially got the answer and then I did 
way too many hours of research confirming this, and All I right. could not find another player. But the answer is Darren Ernstad. He was oh, for the on. Angels in the early 2000s. He won a gold glove at the outfield, and then he came back, and he actually played first base. He was a little first baseman, and he won the gold glove as a first baseman. So I know, Terry, that was the next name you were going to get. You me, knew but. I wasn't getting that one. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, so, I mean, Mookie has a chance. I mean, it's just, it's going to add to his, what I think eventually will be a Hall of Fame career. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't touch him from, you know, moving him from the outfield to the infield. I wouldn't touch that because I think he is an elite right fielder, but he could be an elite second baseman. Um, and it won't surprise me. And it would just add to his Hall of Fame resume that he won a gold glove in the outfield or multiple in the outfield. And then comes to second base and wins one or two or three or four. I mentioned this within the last month, but his biggest contribution to the Red Sox in the playoffs was a laser beam throw to second base to get out Tony Kemp, who was playing for the Astros. Might have, you know, I th- I don't think it was a pinch run situation, but um, but I mean that's just how good of an arm he had. Not quite Aaron Judge, but still pretty good. And, you know, speaks to the, the fact I wouldn't I wouldn't have messed with it either. I don't know. I thought the one where he got in the, the way of the fan and right field on the home run, I thought that was pretty <laughs> – I thought he contributed pretty well in that one. I thought that he saved a home run. He got an out without catching the ball. I thought that was pretty impressive. That was uh, in Houston, right? I that believe. was. Yeah, yeah that I remember was. that. Yeah. But I, the throw was 100% better. I was just kidding. <laughs> well, you never know. I mean, the, the Cubs have the whole Bartman thing, so sometimes it's the weird things that either save you or screw you. But, all right, we're well over an hour at this point, so we will wrap. Um, won't rule out an emergency podcast, but uh, if nothing major does happen, I, I would expect – a Sunday night uh, recording with a Monday morning release. So if we do not talk to you until then, everybody have a great weekend. Take care.